It's true with customer creation as well, uh, co-creation with customers. I think you've got an opportunity to really bring people to the party. And the bigger you can do that at scale, the more potential you have. Hey, folks, this is Michael Vizi from Amazing FBA Podcast for Amazon Sellers. I'd like to introduce an episode from our sister podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, which has got a slightly broader remit for all e-commerce sellers. In this deep dive episode, Jason Miles and I deep dive into a key e-commerce topic. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the e-commerce leader. This is the third and final episode in a rather a marathon going through the 12 principles of private label product development for Amazon. We've already talked about the fact that private label is a very flexible term these days. Uh, so go back and listen to the first episode if you haven't listened to that the first and indeed second episode so that it makes sense as a whole because it is intended to be a whole picture that, that we're trying to get across here. Today, we are going to be dealing with the last four principles principles 9 10 11 and 12 principle 9 co-develop a product with your market talk to real people part 2 principle 10 is start with things that don't scale the Paul Graham quotes principle 11 everything's an experiment and principle 12 is iterate rapidly so that is going to be quite the journey to go through to the end of this stuff so do listen carefully take notes if you want to get notes of course go to the ecommerceleader.com we always create blog posts for you there and uh, we've organized this under the product strategy set of podcasts and there's lots of other content there as well so hope you enjoy it do come and talk to us on our, our respective facebook groups for winning on shopify or the e-commerce leader doesn't have its own at the moment but winning on shopify or amazing fba we have our own facebook groups respectively so do come and join us there and or, or email me or, or jason or any way you want to contact us lots of different ways is where you can comment of course on the uh, facebook group or the facebook pages where we put these videos live so wherever you want do get in touch we love to hear from you and i uh, hope you enjoy today's show so Talk to us about principle number nine. So co-developing your co-developed products with your market, which is talk to real people part two. So mm-hmm. having spoken to people, this comes from this, the best classification, the, the best codification of this is from Ash Moria's book called Running Lean, which is based obviously on the lean startup principles from Eric Reese's famous book, but it's much simpler, which is good because I find Eric Reese's book quite hard work, very clever, but hard. And the first type of interview that Ash Moria has for you do is what he called the problem interview, which we've already talked about. And this really comes from his idea of the solution interview, which is once you've gone to the farmer's market, found this award-winning olive oil, which maybe, again, to give use cases, maybe people use as a massage oil because it makes very fine oil. It makes quite good massage oil, certain grades of olive oil, for example. Let's say that I may not be accurate. If you're an olive oil producer, forgive me. And let's say that's or what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, or a massage. Yes, exactly. So I'm talking nonsense, forgive me. But let's say you do that, right? So you got this extra virgin, special thin oil. Yeah. I'm regretting this already, but I'm going to follow it through. <laughs> and you talk to real people and you give it to them and they use yeah. it and they go, this is disgusting. It sticks to my skin. I don't yeah. know why you thought of giving me olive oil. This is horrible. Now you really do not want to go back and order 10,000 units, put it on Amazon, get one star reviews and then drop it. It's yeah. good to know at 10 people, not 10,000 or even 1,000. Yeah. So it's really good to correct course really early with if out of 10 people you go back to nine of them say it's disgusting the 10th says and they're being polite and they say it's quite nice guess what don't sell that thing go back to your producer and say thanks for that olive oil and um, it's wonderful i use it in my cooking here's the thing it's terrible for massaging and they really want to serve that market have you got something a bit lighter and they go oh yeah my grandmother mm-hmm. from italy used to use this mixture and then you get the mixture 
you yeah. come home, you try it out, you're on your wife, like my wife likes massage, it works, and then you go back to your 10 people. And you, so the iteration, yeah. but very fast and at a very small human scale. Love it. And obviously, this is an example from the food consumable space, but what's mm. been commercialized over the last 10 years really successfully on the physical good space is this co-creation concept with uh, sites like Kickstarter or um, Indiegogo, where you literally create the vision for the product. You ask people to support the effort by helping you fund your dream and getting involved in the process even before it's made and tell you color choices and sizings and packagings and unit quantities and the attributes that are important to them. And then you make a product for those people who already paid you. It's just genius. And so this concept of co-creation, co-development with your user community, I think is just a fantastic product development approach. And when done right, you bring people along to the party as really inspired contributors and invested in your business at a much, much deeper level than just using the product and being happy. They're, they're, they have pride of ownership when they've co-created with you. And that can be incredible. And so I do, I love this one. And, and I do think it's a really powerful marketing strategy to th- whatever extent possible, you can create a behind the scenes user group or a, a product launch group or a, a, a Kickstarter group, those kinds of ideas really beneficial to the long-term success of seeing a product come out into the marketplace and find a core user group that really is going to be loyal to it. Absolutely. I, I just want to stress that there's there's some differences. These things can all blend together, but I think there should be connection, but clear division in terms of function as well, that finding out about the problem is not the same as developing the solution, is not the same as marketing the solution once you've got it to the point where everyone mm-hmm. loves it. They can be the same set of people, of course. Sure. Um, but I just think it's important to be clear when you're co-developing or co-creating, as you say, a product with your market, that Kickstarter is a blend of the two, but I, the, the way I'm d- suggesting you do it, and you could do both. You could do one-to-one conversations with 10 people yeah. and then do a Kickstarter campaign on the back of that. It's probably a very smart combo. But when you're trying to get the product perfect for the market, for a particular use case, for a particular type of problem, for a particular type of person, that's a little bit different from trying to create uh, user groups that will give you product reviews and stuff. Although you're 100% sure right enough. that they could well become the most mm-hmm. passionate users of the product. That The yeah. other thing that makes me think of is this Tom Peters quote, which is about management, nothing to do with product development. But he said something like, I uh, can't remember one of his books from the 90s, no involvement, no commitment, underline this, asterisk it. He said thoughts of things about, it's a more of a management wow. technique, but actually I hadn't really thought of it in conjunction with with product development. But you probably have a very powerful point there that if you do, I'm flipping my head on, on the, the comment I just made now to flip it on its head. If you do get people involved in it and they love the product, they really feel it's their product in a very real sense it is because they had a hand in making it. The, those people are probably going to be great advocates. And that's when wow. there's... There's a lot of creativity in the whole thing I'm talking about here that I guess what the reason I've put it in principles, not steps for a reason, because I'm so against this steps one to 10 and then you get your magic. You could go and live on a beach way of putting things across, partly because I deal with the results of that. Then people come to me and I give them a reality check, which is often I can't help you because that's not how life actually works. I wish it were that simple. I was trained in it that way. And that's a kind of miserable sterile process and perhaps not coincidentally it doesn't work either (laughs) so the creativity involved in solving these more difficult problems but in interaction with the market again and again we've identified i guess three places now what's the problem 
do you like the solution? Will you help us market the solution? Yeah. There's wow. more community. There's more creativity. For me, that's just more energizing. I just find that idea of that linear idea depressing. And also my experience is it's very low success rate. So this is the, the opposite. Be creative, be interactive, really. I love that quote. That's Tom Peters. No involvement, yeah. no commitment. Yeah, he said it really. Wow. That's more belongs strictly in our team area in the fact that it was about team management. But what he Not said really. is no involvement, no commitment. Underline this, asterisk yeah. this. <laughs> it's true with customer creation as well, uh, co-creation with customers. I think you've got an opportunity to really bring people to the party. And the bigger you can do that at scale, the more potential you have for it's like a funnel. Like imagine doing a survey that has 10,000 people who have responded. And then you come back to them with, Hey, here's version one. Are you ready to support the Kickstarter campaign? And then you've got 5,000 people that respond or even a thousand. And then you've got, Hey, here's my product launch. Would you bought it? Would you leave a review? And you've got 500 people that respond, whatever it is. I think that approach is really incredible. Okay, so let's move on. In the interest of time, we'll break down principle number nine with us. Are we on nine? Yeah, sorry, we're on nine. I think we're on 10. We just did co-develop with your market. So principle 10 is... Sorry, principle number 10. (laughs) Principle number 10. My fault for creating so many different principles, but principle number 10 actually really neatly, it comes on the tail of what you were just saying, because I was just about to say what you're talking about with that funnel is a scaled version of what we've been talking about. What principle number 10 says, start with things that don't scale. Again, this is a quote from somebody else. So Paul Graham or Cole Graham was the founder of Y Combinator, which is behind lots of unicorns, billion dollar valuation companies, not even revenue. Their revenue is way in excess of tens of billions sometimes. And starting with things that don't scale is just the mindset as much as anything else. Just forget about how are you going to scale this up to producing 10,000 units of olive oil when these guys are only used to producing like 100 units a week. Okay, that will be a problem, but that's a less important problem for a startup. The right place to start is where do you start? How do you get into the market? How do you enter the market? How do you find the market? How do you develop the first iterations of the product? So they're starting questions, not scaling questions. Scaling is obviously a critical part of a business. And we've talked about this, the business model defensibility. One of your questions absolutely rightly is, how do I scale this? How scalable is this? And that is a problem. But on the Amazon world, because Amazon is full of products that are good at scaling, Amazon itself is a scale kind of platform that enables third-party sellers to, to get 20, 30, 40% conversion rates and shift crazy amounts of products who on their own would shift tens of units a year, literally that different. But in that world, and Chinese factories produce that scale, in the world of people who are great at scaling, ironically, your best bet is to start with things that don't scale. Yeah. And then figure out how to scale later, which sounds very counterintuitive for those who've got an engineering or corporate kind of mindset. So that's my belief now based on experience. Yeah, I totally agree 100%. And I would just interpret this topic to say it a little differently, which, because I think a lot of people do get stuck on this. Why does that make any sense? And so here's how it makes sense to me from my point of view. When you start with things that don't scale, you start to really understand the space that you're operating in. And the Robert Ronstadt is a professor who coined the phrase, the corridor principle. And, and the idea is that when you start down a journey, like in a corridor, doors will be open to you that you did not see before you started on that journey. And so the adjacency of opportunities next to what you started that won't scale can sometimes unlock incredible potential. And that's our story. So when we started in 2007, 2008 on eBay running auctions, for handmade items, it was completely not scalable. 
We tried for 18 months and I was as a marketer like, this is working. And my wife and co-founder, who was the handmade items person, was saying, I'm done. I, I'm not sewing till midnight making these things anymore. I'm taking two, three weeks to make something that we can auction for four or five hundred dollars. Great, but there's no that there's no scalability there. But what it gave us was an entry into a market or, or a, a subset of a market that allowed us to see opportunity. And so doing things that won't scale for a user community that has a real strong need will get you closer to success faster, in my view, because of these elements that occur, the corridor principle and this the issues of seeing them their needs and finding adjacent product opportunities. So that's how I interpret this one. It is, it is counterintuitive. People who first come into this were like, that just doesn't sound like a good idea. Who would do that? Who would do something that won't ever scale up? But there's reasons to do it. There is a method in the madness. Yeah, and I was just about to say, you and Cinnamon are a fascinating example of this because obviously the problem you had with your business model is it didn't scale. You didn't have a problem if people didn't want it. Right. People loved the products. I understand they paid good money per unit, mm-hmm. but then Cinnamon could not scale herself up. She's not easy to replicate. And then I guess, yeah, that what it did scale, if you like, though, is to speed up the process of pivoting quickly which you were forced to do if you'd had a team a team of 100 people in china working their fingers to the bone till midnight you yeah. could have stumbled on with that model for years and all oh, that may have been a different model which is scaling it up by outsourcing labor and you may yeah. have had a drop in quality and then yeah. cinnamon would have gone from a handmaker to a quality control person and she might have hated that or might have been good at it but that would have been a different business but the fact that you could iterate so quickly at such a small scale yeah forced you to iterate quickly and to discover as you said through the corridor principle so doing things at small scale means you can move quickly we are if you like most small business owners or startups unless you have crazy amounts of funding most people listening to this will have small capital therefore you're small so you have to make the virtues of being small you have to keep those virtues. Don't hand them over because as soon as you start ordering minimum order quantity goods of a thousand units in China and it takes three months to make, yeah. guess what? You've got to sell through those thousand units before you can pivot to the next product or just dump them and lose the money. And it's going to take you three months before they even start selling. Whereas if you sell 10 units that you got made by some friend, your wife in your case, or, or somebody who's making hand making goods in California or wherever, in Nepal, then if those two units, 10 units sell, you can go back and get 100 units. And then if they stop selling or you hit a problem, you can pivot really fast. Meanwhile, the person who's selling their stuff out in China is taking six, seven, eight, nine months to get to the point going, oh, this product doesn't work. Meanwhile, you've iterated five times. I never looked at our own journey this way before, but one way you could characterize our journey was for 10 years, I tried to look for a scalable opportunity. Mm. And I, I had various dumb ideas. Uh, Inflatable camping furniture was the genius idea I had that I thought was amazing before anybody had it, I'm telling you. and But I had no business figuring out camping furniture. I just didn't know how to do it. But then when we just said, man, we need to make money, what can we do? And we started selling on eBay. It was literally just 18 months from that point until we locked in on our long-term idea, which we've been doing now for 11, 12 years. So I guess if I look at my 20 plus year journey that way, 10 years, I was trying to figure out how to do a scalable business and couldn't come up with anything. And 18 months I was doing, we were doing non-scalable and figured out how to go from, for the long term. Yeah, I guess, I, I think that's really, as I reflect on my own journey, I've never thought about mm-hmm. that way before, but I think you're right. 
I think yeah. doing the thing that won't scale is the fastest path to finding a scalable business. Exactly. Yeah. You got to, this is one of the things that I was just, this brings us on to the next principle, but basically everything is going to be iterations. You've got to accept the fact mm-hmm. your first product idea, inflatable garden furniture, for example, may not yeah. be the, the thing that the market's been waiting for forever. It's the, the you know, yeah. sliced bread equivalent. And that's yeah. okay because you can change and change again. And the, the quicker you can iterate, the quicker right. you come to the business model that, that is sustainable. When you've got something that works, then it's worth asking the question, how do I scale that? And that is mm-hmm. a problem. But I find that actually in a competitive marketplace, finding the thing that works is by far the hardest thing. Hardest, yeah. Scaling is hard, but that's a different type of hard, but it's not mm-hmm. the level of uncertainty. It's more of an engineering question. And people love to try and get all engineering-y very early in the process and go, how do I just nail down the exact product? I'm like, I'm sorry, but I can't give you that one to ten, ten answer. But once you have got something that works, you've got cash flow, you can hand that over to an engineer literally a, a manufacturing engineer and say how can we make this at scale and they'll yeah. come back with an answer yeah. and and that will be a fairly mathematically driven rational answer it works or it doesn't that's an easier more graspable problem mm-hmm. to solve i think but the ungraspable bit is grabbing that market share love it okay and this does tie into the next principle as you said so what's principle 11 about Okay, so principle 11 is everything is an experiment. So this is a much a mentality as a practical point, but it has immediate ramifications on what you practically do. So your expectation for each version of a product, are you expecting one and done? Or are you expecting this may be the first of five versions of a product, right? Mm-hmm. Every successful product I can think of commercially had several versions that were pretty rubbish to start with, including the Kindle, which has made Amazon squadillions of pounds and dollars. The time allowed to getting a launch at scale is also going to be different. If you're going to experiment with six, seven different iterations of a product at small scale, you're going to understand it's going to take you two years to mass produce and scale up this product. But I want to scale up a profitable product rather than the pseudo success. I've got a private label product launched in six months in the sense of private label, literally just my label on an existing product that looks exactly the same as everything else. Okay, so great. By Christmas, maybe you've done $30,000 in sales. Great. Go and look at your numbers and you'll probably find there's no profit there. So Mm -hmm. that's the false kind of win. And I want a real win. But by expect by thinking everything's an experiment, I allow time to get to that point. The yeah. budget's obviously going to be bigger. I'm not going to try and get to a, a mass scale product that's really successful with a few thousand dollars. It's mm-hmm. not likely to happen. And the number of iterations before you abandon a product. If Amazon had abandoned their Kindle at iteration number two, it would have been a complete failure instead of a roaring success. Mm-hmm. And I love this one. And I love your use of the phrase squadillion. Is that a... <laughs> Your squadillion is my yeah. It's a thing now. Is that a British term. Awesome. No, it's a microsy term. I think I, I wouldn't use that in London. They'll be just as mystified as they would be in Seattle. Yeah. Well, you're, I think there's a real magic in this idea that everything's an experiment. And I think the main thing I would just encourage people to say, as after having worked with coaching clients and seen numbers and and results and outcomes, the most important thing to do as an experimenter is to be completely honest with yourself. And I, we've, as coaches or leaders working with individuals, we've all seen circumstances where people are lying to themselves and they are mesmerized by sales velocity sometimes. Like, oh, look, $50,000 of sales a month or whatever it is. But then you're right. When you really do break it down and, and look at the numbers, Amazon's made a lot of money. Their PPC guys made all, a lot of money. Their AMS ads guys made a lot of money, but them as the business owner have it. Now, if that's an experiment, it's fine. But the question is, what's the lesson and how do you get to profitability? And if you, any scientist cannot be deluded by dogma, 
you have to follow the facts and literally look at hard, cold truth and say, is this working? Yes or no? And how do I pivot? And and I think if we just are in the, I want to make a lot of money online idea space and sales, top level sales by itself does that, we can blind ourselves to the hard, cold truth of the profit and loss statement. And it's one of the key coaching tools we use with our coaching clients is let's look at your monthly P&L from last month and uh, get reality. And I think ultimately people want to do that. Just sometimes they just don't know how. And having a coach or an advisor that comes alongside and says, okay, let's look at your P&L. Let's look at the ratios. Let's look at the percentages. Let's look at your goals. And it starts to come together really quickly if, if you start to do the hard pushback of what did you just try? Did it work? Yes or no? What did you learn? And we're always doing that. Successful e-commerce is a series of failures strung together <laughs> <laughs> until, yeah. you, until yeah. you find your path. It just, that's yeah. how it works. You know? Yeah, absolutely. They say that, what is it? They fail forward is the Marines. Yeah. That's a motto, right? And so you need to fail in the sense you didn't achieve your goal of making profit or even sales. But if your goal is an experiment is not a failure, if you get a result that you yeah. didn't expect, it's a failure if it doesn't give you a result. So yeah. if you try and do something, and the results are very ambiguous. That as a as an experiment, strictly speaking, it's a failed experiment. Even if you make a lot of money, it's a failed mm-hmm. experiment because you haven't got the data. And what you've got to do is value, not data in the narrow sense of a few numbers, but the learnings in the broader yeah. sense, as you said. Yeah. Those are actually, I think, the outcome you should be pushing for in an experimental phase of a product development or even a, a new business model. The thing about honesty as well, you're so absolutely right. And I think we've got to do very clearly on Amazon, not what Amazon encourages to do as third-party sellers, which is to just go for sales and revenue and revel in revenue numbers. They make it very yeah. gamified, even the way their platform is set up in the third-party sellers, the what do you call it, Seller Central, is mm-hmm. gamified because it, it goes on about the revenue is just in your face. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really break down a profit at all for you. You have to work very hard to find that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. But you need to do what they do, not what they say you should do, which is be radically honest. And then Jeff Bezos is nothing but intellectually rigorous and radically honest. And mm-hmm. Steph, Steve Anderson, a guest of mine recently, has written a book called, uh, um, um, I can't remember what it is, The 14 Principles, basically based on Jeff Bezos's letters to shareholders, mm-hmm. where he is incredibly honest and straightforward about how they operate. Mm-hmm. So don't read um, anything they send to you as a third-party seller saying, oh, you could be spending more money on Amazon ads. Of course they say that because it makes Amazon yeah. money. Read the letter to the shareholders. And I think yeah. the shareholders are their ultimate customers. It's certainly not the third-party sellers. That book is the Bezos Letters, I think. Yeah, yeah, the Bezos Letters, um, that's right, yeah. It's interesting because I know the community of authors that were associated with that book, and Barnes & Noble won't carry it. (laughs) It's just kind of funny. It's just, it's funny. And uh, yeah, so I totally agree. Do what they do and be intellectually honest and look at everything as an experiment. Okay, okay. In this interest of time, let's move on to our final uh, principle. Break it down for us. What's principle number 12? Principle 12, we've already really touched on, which is iterate rapidly, which is why we really, when we took about sourcing strategy, that's why I think you have no choice but to integrate your sourcing strategy into your market choice slash product choice strategy, which is a pain because it makes it more complex. But the reason it works is if you love low MOQs, low uh, minimum order quantities over large scale, if you go to some guy in and get rural handmade sort of beautiful wooden goods made in Nepal or yak's milk made in Nepal or olive oil sourced in 
California, for example, and you have 50 units and you sell them or you even sell them to your friends or you just try and release more scale. But even if you're selling on Amazon and they sell out really quickly or they sell horribly and people write horrible reviews, you could very quickly go back and say, okay, let's change it and change until you, as you said, it's a series of failures. If you're going to fail, you want to do it quickly and you want to do it cheaply. And if you recognize and you're humble enough to know that you probably won't get it right first time, then you build that into your system and you spread your money amongst multiple small pots. Another way of putting this is is the principle that Jim Collins came up with in, I think it's Great by Choice, which is a book all about how companies have thrived in very high risk environments, which is fascinating. It includes some tech companies. And he says one principle is fire bullets, then fire cannonballs. In other words, you need to calibrate first where you're going to hit, and only then do you spend the big money on a big launch. And, And that's the same basic idea. I love this one. It's totally in line with how we've tried to run our business as well. And the thing about it is if you're in an um, inventory intensive business, then you can be trapped in this situation where your uh, supply chain slows down iteration. But I would just say this, there's always something to be testing and always something to iterate on. So for example, as a private label seller on Amazon, you can always be testing your copywriting. You can always be testing your photography. You can always be testing associated video content, graphics, how-tos, infographics, that kind of thing. You can always be testing your price point. And so there's always something to be experimenting with. And I think that's part of the rigor of e-commerce selling is you cannot just throw stuff out there and expect for it to continue to do well at the first place or to continue to do well without constant tune-up refinement, improvement, enhancement. And that's just part of the journey. And uh, doing it quick is valuable. Yeah. Yeah, you make two important points. So one is the um, iteration in your marketing, which fortunately, as you say, you're not trapped in by anyone really. And the second thing is really you've touched on, but I want to flesh out, which is uh, we really focus on the startup phase of product development effectively. And that's not that's by design. Now that can apply to very sophisticated sellers who haven't sold on Amazon yet much or who've sold other types of products need to develop physical products. It could be um, that they are expanding into a new product range and, and need to change their philosophy in response to the market. But actually, the dirty truth is this, that the product life cycle has always been limited. But some products like Coke, so to have survived for a century, <laughs> that's the exception that proves the rule. On Amazon, I think you maybe got three good years for a product, if you're lucky, where it will start off costing you money, even once you've found it and made it work, you've yeah. got to launch it. And then it will make you lots of profit for a certain time. And then it will finish now during that period because there's so much volume can be sold you can make an amazing amount of profit you've got to be real about the fact that if you want to continue that product line in the broader sense you're going to have to iterate and iterate to stay ahead of the competition just like apple does famously with the iphone was a brand new concept it was totally brand brand breaking now everyone's got the same thing what do they do produce apple iphone one and once a year they launch their newest iphone with a great fanfare and the truth is okay, they've now built a brand and they can get away with that. It's not actually that different, but they're still having to iterate. Otherwise, iPhone 3 would not stand up against the Saxon Gallery Galaxy number 55 million and they would lose all that market share. So you have to iterate anyway, even when you've got your products up and running. Totally agree. Packaging is one of the best things to iterate on too. And uh, so there's so many things to test. This has been a wonderful list of 12 private label principles. And we're really grateful, Michael, for your insights and perspective on this. Just say on your behalf, because I know you won't say it about yourself, you've got training on this topic. And you've got a wonderful 10K Collective group 
uh, small group setting program that you have available to people who are listening. And I would encourage everyone to go check out uh, the e-commerce leader. It's got links to all of Michael's uh, opportunities. And if you've liked this live edition of our podcast, then I would just encourage you to share it with a friend, share it into a group. If you're on Facebook, you can share it along or on YouTube, you can send the links and we'd love to have you help us spread the word. And of course, the whole thing is in support of the e-commerce leader podcast. And that podcast is available on uh, Apple and Spotify and Stitcher and all of the podcast player offers. And so we'd love to have you go check it out. We've done now close to 100 episodes where we've really done a deep dive into many topics related to e-commerce efforts from traffic strategies, product creation, team structures, and on. And so if you've enjoyed this content today, we'd love to have you go check out the e-commerce leader. If the player that you use allows for reviews or ratings or that kind of thing, we'd love to have you leave one and support the work. And it really is an honor to be able to share thoughts and ideas. We do this because we're passionate about seeing e-commerce sellers succeed and scale up their efforts. And we're really uh, grateful for the chance to speak into your business. If you've um, been listening and participated, Michael, thank you again for a great session here. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's a great topic and uh, also grateful to be able to share this. I think talking of uh, co-creating, it's really nice to have a bit of the interaction on the Facebook Live that we're now doing as well, because I think there's a lot that can be had from hearing from our listeners and and our viewers. So please do get in contact. I've e- even literally had emails for some of the listeners that have written in and said, this is absolutely great, but I disagree on this point. We absolutely <laughs> love that sort of thing. It's so thought provoking and, and exciting. So please do contact us in any way you want, but especially, yeah, come and listen to the podcast and then do come and visit, uh, visit our Facebook group or, or come and make some comments on the blog as well. Absolutely. All right, friends, we're going to end it here. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. And it seems as if this is maybe a new thing we're going to be doing these uh, Sunday morning Pacific time, Sunday afternoon, London time, live versions of the podcast. It seems fun and enjoyable. So if you're liking this idea of the lives, leave us a comment underneath and give us a like, love or on, on Facebook as well. And let us know what you think. Thanks so much, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.